Hello again, church. As we continue to dig into what that word means, church, what it means to be a community of Christians living out God's word, living out the gospel together, I have another word for us to focus on. Another thought I'd like to suggest it's crucial for us to know and live out church. The word is commitment. And as we have with all these other words that we've focused on, all these other thoughts that we've considered, I don't think we can do church without commitment. I don't think you can do faith without being committed. I don't think you can follow Christ without being committed. I don't think you can be in community without being committed. And yet commitment as a concept, as an approach, as a form of character, uh, seemingly is getting less and less and less common, less and less and less valued in the culture around us. But when I think about commitment, I think it describes the very character and nature of God. You know, his quality of being committed, of being permanent, of being unchanging. Uh, God being a covenantal God to Adam, to Noah, to Abram, uh, through Christ to us. You know, he's a covenantal God. He makes promises. He keeps promises. And so we're made in his image. He calls us to be promise makers and promise keepers, and broken promise repairers. So commitment and being covenantal, promise keeping, you say we'll be there, we'll say we'll do this, we'll say we'll believe this, we'll say we'll follow through, those sorts of things should be fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. And in a world where commitment is getting less and less and less, we should be standing up for commitment more and more and more so we can represent what commitment looks like, because otherwise the world will have no idea what the commitment of God to them looks like, unless we can speak it from the pages of Scripture and strive to emulate it and live it and be an example of it and to reflect Christ, who's the perfect example of commitment. Commitment to his disciples, despite their betrayals. Commitment to a world that persecuted and rejected him. Commitment to his cause, despite the fact that it would lead to his death, because he knew what was on the other side. He knew what that empty tomb would bring. He knew what the reward would be. His purpose. He lived for purpose. And his purpose was to be with the people he was with and to be for an entire world, for all the people who ever lived. So commitment, I think, is something that we need to challenge ourselves to. And in most church settings, we're kind of like semi-committed, I feel like, because the lack of commitment in our culture gradually seeps into us. We get diluted. <laughs> in our purity, and our holiness, and our commitment by living lives that lack these values, lack godly characteristics in so many ways. Uh, so we need to strive to hold each other up and to support one another in commitment. You know, if I think about Serve Home <coughs> coming up shortly, the second version of Serve Home, and I'm excited about that. And I feel like well, we're all committed to it. I know who's committed. I know who will be there with um, all those 80, 90 people that have put their name on the dotted line and all of us, myself included, put money down to say, I'm committed to this cause. But what if none of us showed up? What if we made all these promises to the people that we were there to serve and yet none of us showed up? None of the work would be done. We would fail in our commitment to one another and feel disappointed. Why weren't you there for me? You said you would be. And we would fail those who we are to be living for. So Surf Home is kind of like this microcosm of what I want us to think about as the church on a larger level. We need to reflect the nature and character of God be made in His image when it comes to commitment. Because if we're not committed to one another, 
then we're not safe for one another. I tell you something, and I hope that it will be followed through on. Here's my birthday, but we're not committed, and we just drop the ball. I tell you something, or commit to you something, I'll be at your house on a certain day, and then we just don't go. Little bits of trust are eroded. Little bits of our character take a hit each time that we fail in commitment, and yet God never fails. He's steadfast. He's long-suffering. That's his identity. And it's a good thing that commitment doesn't require our perfection. <laughs> commitment can be renewed. Renewal of the covenant. That's what reconciliation is. So this doesn't mean we need to be perfect, but it means it needs to be our goal, our striving. You know, I was at a wedding recently, and I loved the promises that were made to one another, to each other. A bride to a groom and a groom to a bride. I promise that I'll be there. They're making commitments. Those commitments need to be kept. And in any way that they're broken or in any way that they're failed, because we will fail one another, that's when we renew the covenant. That's when we confess, we repent, we reconcile, we renew and restore the covenant. So commitment is always our goal, despite our ups and downs along the way. I think sometimes we approach commitment to a church, commitment to a community of believers, in the way that some people approach a relationship um, leading up to marriage. Sometimes instead of getting married, we'll just settle for living together with someone. So we're like somewhat committed. Yeah, I'm with you for now, but maybe not forever. I'm with you as long as it's good or as long as it's convenient. But if it's not, I don't want to commit to anything yet. We can't live that way as believers with God. God, I'll live with you and kind of figure out if you give me what I want, if you make me happy. No, God, I commit. And even if my life is difficult and I struggle and I'm persecuted, I love you to the end. It's that kind of commitment that opens up and unlocks new doors of possibility in relationship and of fruitfulness and of opportunity. If those commitments aren't made, we reserve ourselves, we hold back, we don't fully give, we don't fully receive, we aren't fully known, we don't fully know. Those things can only come to fullness and be fully experienced in a full commitment. So I loved hearing vows given and exchanged at the wedding, and I, I, I thought about us, and I thought about church, and I thought about commitment, I thought about God's character, and I thought specifically about how Jesus called his disciples to be so committed. Whoever doesn't leave father and mother and, you know, leave behind your jobs, leave everything, and just follow me, be a wholehearted disciple, not worthy of me. Full commitment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself commitment. And if we're committed a little bit, but then we fail, we've lost our commitment. It, it lacks substance. If and when that happens, we need to get right back to our knees, back to God and say, I'm committed. I recommit. Commitment is still your character. It's still how I'm supposed to be made in your image. So as those thoughts led me forward and thinking about commitment, I was thinking, you know, if I asked many people, what are you committed to in your church? I think it might reveal kind of our false perceptions of church. Someone might say, I'm committed to being a Sunday school teacher in our church. I'm committed to New Hope Christian Chapel, you know, the name of our church. Someone say, I'm committed to giving to our church. I tithe or I give sacrificially. Someone might say, I'm committed to the building project at our church. You know, I've signed a pledge. I'm, my name is on the dotted line. I've committed to an outreach project. I've committed to this small group. I've committed to uh, this music ministry that I'm a part of. Whatever it may be. What are, your commit what are you committed to? And in my mind, Jesus approached commitment from a different angle. I think it would be wise for us to do it the same way.
he was committed to people, not programs. So say, for example, in our church now, if you say, oh, I'm committed to the music ministry, that's one of my commitments. I would say, well, let's step back from that. In our current definition of church, in my mind, that means that you have said, I'm committed to Devin and to Michaela and to Hope and to Andy and to Shane and to Joe and to Dave and to Danny and to like the people. You're committed to those people. You know, if you fail in that commitment, we let people down, we drop the ball. It's not just a generic music ministry where we fail. It's people and it's people that we would need to fix things with. You know, if you say, oh, I'm committed to the Freedom in Christ ministry, it's like, no, you're committed to Leah Maycumber and to Sally Clark and to those who are in that ministry, the people are who we're committed to. But if we follow that train of thought, I think there's two different levels of commitment to people. You know, who are you committed to? I think that comes in two categories. It's who you're committed to be with, who you're with, and who you're committed to be for, who you're for. So if I say, who are you committed with? Who are you with? That will help you know who your community is. That will help you know who you've made your promises to. Who are you with? Name the names. You know, Jesus had his 12. He had his 3. He had his 70. Who are your people? Name them. And don't name it with a title or a program or a church name. Name the people. That's who you're with. That's who you're committed to. But if we stop right there, it becomes a self-serving. This is my club. These are my people. These are who I'm with. Yeah, but Jesus never just called his disciples to be just with him. He always called them to be with him and for others. Their community always had a purpose, and the purpose was never just self-serving. The purpose was always self-sacrificing, serving others. Love God and love your neighbor. It's who are you with? Are you with God? Are you with Christ? And who are we for? The two levels of commitment. And so if you say, this is who I'm with, okay, and who are you for? And if we can't define those two things clearly, we'll fail to know if we ever fully succeed in what we're trying to do to live out this Christian faith. If it was just to be with God, I've said so many times, I can't help saying it again. The minute we believe in him, we'd just be taken to heaven because the only purpose would be to be with him. But it's not just to be with him. It's to be with him and for others. So our purpose together is to be with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with God, serving others, with, for. Who are you committed to be with? It's a commitment. Promise it. Keep it. Resurrect it and restore it when needed. And who are you committed to be for? Promise them. Be for them. Apologize when we don't live out ourselves sacrificially in their benefit for their purposes, not for us. Again, Serve Home gives us this great sort of example. I know who I'm with. With 80, 90 people, we've signed, we're, we're on. I can see how these teams are starting to come together, and I'm going to be on a work site with a certain group. These are who we're with. These are our people. And it's this length of time, so we've committed. But the homeowners, the sites that we'll be at, the people we're getting to love and to care and to serve, we've told them that we'll be there from this day to this day, and that we'll get these things done, and that we'll raise and give this money. We don't want to let them down. But because I know who I'm with, I know I'm for. It's crystal clear what my mission is. And so I think church becomes crystal clear when we define and when we seek, we strive to know who we're with and who we're for. So with all that preface, I would just like to see how Jesus himself did it. 
How did he call his disciples? Into what form of community did he call them to be with and for? And just let ourselves kind of reflect upon that. Let it influence how we live out Serve Home this summer. Let it influence how we live in community with each other this fall. How we seek out Jesus' model of living together with three. <clears throat> okay, you have three. I have three closest confidants, you know, brothers in Christ that I can live with. What are we for? Who are we for? We have a group of 12, you know, a small group of people that gather together. We're, okay, we're, for, uh, we're with each other, but who are we for? Okay, we have a church, but we're not the mission. We're the missionaries. So this group of 70, you know, 80, whatever we are, we're not just to be with one another, we're to be for others. So who are we for? The more clearly we can find this, the more readily we'll be able to see the fruit. Because we'll know what we're shooting for. We'll know our mission and we'll be on it together for the sake of others. So, really quickly in the book of Mark, we have a few different passages where Jesus calls different people to follow him into ministry together in chapters 1 through 3. Let me read just a couple. Let's reflect on these, and let's live them out. This is what church is. In Mark 1, verse 16, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. We first think of calling fishermen to be fishers of men as sort of a general term. I want you to notice two things. First, it's not a general thing. It's so unique and specific. He's calling them to be who they are in his service. If they were farmers, I firmly believe that he would have said, Come, follow me, and plant seeds and harvest what the Lord has called. He's recognizing their uniqueness, and he's saying, God has made you that way. You have lived a life gaining experiences that God wants to use for his service. But he also says, I will make you fishers of men. He's not just calling them to be with him. He says, come follow me and I will use you for the sake of others. And so right there we see commitment. Step one, sentence one, the calling of his disciples. First disciples, his closest is three. Be with me and for others using your unique abilities and gifts. I think the calling is always unique. It's unique to us as individuals. We've lived certain lives. We have certain personalities. He's given us certain spiritual gifts. He's put us in certain jobs and led us through certain trials. Those are our tools to work with. Individually, in our three, in our twelve, in our seventy, as a kingdom of God. It's very unique. Christ's call is always unique to us. It's a call to come with him, follow me, come after me, is another way to define that, translate that, and I'll make you fishers of men. This is who we're going to be with, and that's who we're going to be for. And so they did. And immediately they're going into service with him. Immediately they see him doing miracles. Immediately they hear him teaching. Immediately they're with him. Let's move over to Mark chapter 2. Another calling. Jesus went out again. This is verse 13 of Mark 2. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. All right, so this calling is a little bit simpler in phrasing. We could think, oh, he's just calling him to be with him. There's no four. No, there is, because immediately that day, look what they're doing together. It says, and as he reclined at table in his house, Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So what he said to Levi was, Come, follow me, and we're going to have a party at your house tonight, and I want you to invite all of your people, your tax collector friends, who you are in your world, your unique set of relationships, you know, you have been a wealthy socialite extorting money unfairly. You are committing yourself to me. I want you to use your wealth and social influence to help those people see that they are broken, that they need a savior. And they have been rejected by the religious establishment. But I'm here for them. And I want them to know God loves them. I want them to be with me and for others. So Levi, be who you are. He doesn't say Levi, become a fisherman. He says Levi... Be a wealthy, socially connected, influential person. Let's have a meal at your house. Invite your people. You know, if we're a salesman in our field, God's saying, use your ability to communicate to any sort of a person in any sort of situation and explain to them the value and merit of something that they've never heard of. Apply that to the gospel. Show them how much God loves them. And speak persuasively and winsomely, knowing that this is the only one true thing that matters, the only thing worth being a salesperson for. If you are a cook, you know, work in the hospitality industry or a chef, make meals and give them away and show that God feeds those he loves, both physically and spiritually. And that Jesus has food for our souls in the same way that God provides our daily bread. Just use who we are. He calls Levi to be Levi and to reach Levi's friends. He met a bunch of fishermen. He called them and their friends, their brothers, to follow him, to be with him for others, immediately with him for others. If we follow on to the calling of the twelve and the naming of the twelve disciples, that's Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve. So this isn't just those who are following. These are naming, he's appointing, he's giving specific mission. He appointed 12 who he named apostles, which means sent ones. Not just come and be with, but I'm sending you specifically out. So that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. How specific is that? He named the 12 so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. You're with me and you're going out. That's the definition of church. And it's got to be committed. Not with Jesus one day and apart from him the next day. Not for people one day and for ourselves the next day. Always with Jesus and always for others. And so he appointed the twelves and names them. And uh, in verse 20 it says that he went home and the crowd gathered again. So he's, he's setting aside these in a special ceremony. Anointing them, appointing them, sending them. Telling them, you're committed and I'm committing to you. You need to be committed to me and to those you are around. If we're not committed, church becomes a lot of talk and very little follow, very, very little follow through. What kind of Christian community are we going to be? Will we commit? And when we lack that commitment, will we confess it? See it as a sin against one another and re-bind ourselves to each other for who we're with and to the people who we are for. 
Will we kind of straddle the fence between the world and the church, between God and our flesh? Will we want to have kind of our Christian relationship be, you know, like friends with benefits, be living together but not married? What kind of results and what kind of fruit do we expect to see from telling God, I'll give you part of my time, part of my heart? From telling our church, our small group, our three, I'll give you part of my friendship, part of my commitment. But when you really need me, I'm not sure that you can count on me. And at some point, I'm anticipating I'm probably going to need to bail on you. So I'm not willing to commit up front. There's no faith. There's no salvation without commitment. And I think of where to reflect God's character his steadfast character, the church needs to reflect commitment. We need to be committed to our neighborhoods in a way that when we don't love them and provide for them, we apologize. Christians need to be committed to a lost world in such a way that when we see social injustices, we apologize for not having been better advocates and fighting harder to prevent those things from happening or fighting harder today from stopping them. When we tell each other, I'll be there for you within the, the corporate church, the 70, the larger group, and then we're not there, the no calls, the no shows, we need to apologize that we weren't as committed as we needed to be. When we signed a membership agreement, a covenant as a part of a church, and we break those things that we've committed to, we need to apologize to one another. When we don't pray for one another, like we said we we're going to, we should apologize for breaking that promise. Let's not look at these commitments as too hard and never make them. Let's look at them as the only things that matter and boldly and gladly jump into those commitments. And when we drop the ball, restore, renew, revive, reconcile, and thrive. You know, when Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus didn't give up on him, on community with him. He just asked him three times after he rose again, Peter, do you believe in me? Do you love me? And three times Peter got a chance to restore the three times that he had denied Christ. And when Peter says, Lord, you know I love you, what did Jesus say? Then feed my sheep. Be committed to who we're with. And Jesus says, being with me means being for the people that I love. And I've had so many times myself as a pastor where people will come to me and say, what can I do to help out in the church? Do you need help in the office or help cleaning or all these sorts of things? And I, I kind of think to myself, I appreciate that investment. But we don't need help typing or printing or cleaning. We need help caring for people's souls. I see a church of, you know, 70, 80 people here that I can't care for by myself. You want to help me feed Jesus's sheep? I see a community and communities around us with so many people lost. Like, I can't save them all on my own. If you want to help me, if you want to help our church, bring people to know Jesus. And then connect them here to us so that we can love them and teach more and more about what God's Word says. Don't be committed to programs.
Don't be committed to church titles or to ministries or to church names. Be committed to people the way Jesus was. Committed to who you're with. Committed to who you're for. If we do that, we will be a light in a dark world that doesn't understand very much about commitment anymore. Let's be the ones to help show them what it looks like in all its dirtiness and messiness and frailty, all of our weakness and all of God's strength, all of his commitment to us through it all, all of his grace. That's what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. That's what Christian community is supposed to look like. That's what the church should look like.